there's a period of time where we have the least amount of competitors and there's an influx of jobs. If we can position ourselves to be the player at that point in time, there's going to be a huge windfall that could last years. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I am excited to be joined today by Michael Petrak. Michael's a leading pharmaceutical industry recruiter from the US. His firm is called TMAC Direct. It's the executive recruiting arm of the medical affairs company, which is the international leader in direct hire and contract staffing for medical affairs. Michael's known as one of the top five billers in the United States. And because of that, he's a sought after speaker and trainer. He runs a high performing desk while overseeing several teams. His hobbies include creative writing, Bible study, and spending time with his wife and three daughters. Michael, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. And thanks for the introduction. My pleasure. So uh, this is your second time on the show. So thank you so much for coming back. And I have to say, like your previous interview has been one of the most popular that we've ever done. What? So we'll link to the show notes. Um, we'll link to that episode in the in the show notes. But be sure to uh, be sure to check that out if you haven't already heard that. And uh, in other news, Mike, uh, you've recently published a, a book as well, which is just an amazing yeah. journey. I'd love to learn more about that today. Why did, well, let me just pause and ask you, since we last caught up, which was I think about a year or so ago, yeah. what's what's new and exciting in your, in your world? Well, uh, aside from the book, you know, uh, the market, the market in our particular industry totally flipped. We went from the healthiest market you could imagine in 2021 and then into 22, and then it just started to nosedive and the business just evaporated. I mean, it went, we went from having 99 recs down to nine as a firm. Wow. Um, and carry, we carried over nine from 22 to 23. So it's been a lot of, um, trying to re-strategize, stay relevant, keep our people busy, uh, keep in the right mind space related to that. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the book for me was a, was a kind of a healthy distraction. So I didn't get mm -hmm. uh, too sour there. Okay. That's what's been going on. Well, <laughs> wow. And, and look, I appreciate you being honest about that, man, because I think that will help a lot of people to understand that, you know, uh, adversity happens in this business to everybody, you know, and, and nobody is really immune to that. So right. could you talk a little bit more about what's happening and, and more importantly, how you're dealing with it? Yeah. So what we started seeing were, were that a lot of positions were starting to go on hold. Mm -hmm. And then after a period of time, more positions went on hold. Then downsizing started to happen. And so when all that happens and then the market's flooded with candidates and there's very few positions, it is just the worst environment for a recruiter. You know, we, st we thrive in the uh, environment where there's more positions than viable candidates. You right. flip that on its head and all of a sudden we're irrelevant in a big, in a quick, in a quick turnaround time. And that's really what's happened to us. Um, and yeah. I can go into all the different reasons why our particular industry, the pharmaceutical industry is suffering, but you know, I don't want to bore everyone with that, but what we've been doing to try to stay relevant 
is we put relationships first. So we are still talking to people. We're still trying to bring them value. Um, even candidates that aren't our candidates, we're helping them prep. Because what we've known from other recessionary times is that when things come back, what you're doing for people, they'll remember it. And we're not doing it for some sort of long-term ROI. That's not like our motivation behind it. We, we, we just know that this is a good time to build those super good relationships. The second thing that we're doing that I think will be valuable to your followership here is when we're talking to hiring managers and they're like, hey, look, man, our, you know, we, we have a run of hiring freeze is to tell them, well, it's not going to be forever. Think about the positions that you know are going to pop once things are a little bit better. Why not start talking to people about those positions now? Yeah, some of them are going to you know, take other jobs and you'll lose them. But think about if you try to start when the thaw happens and all your competitors are going to now be buying for that same individual when the thaw happens, you can have a competitive advantage. You could be halfway done with the race while they're just starting. So that's sort of the narrative that we're trying. And does it work every time? No, but, um, but at least that's what we're keeping busy doing. All right. That's smart. Absolutely. So you mentioned relationships and you gave a couple of examples there, one on the candidate side, one on the client side. Is there anything else that you're doing in order to just stay connected to your customers through thick and thin so that when things open up again, you know, you are right there and ready to capitalize on the, uh, on the resurgence. Yeah. So if you think about how our firm is structured, I do the majority of the business development mm -hmm. along with a, a couple other people and, that, and that's our job. And usually we're farming out, uh, to other people, the fulfillment. Um, yeah. and I do a lot of fulfillment as well. Um, in this scenario, what we've basically done is put everyone into a business development type functionality. It's a requirement yes. daily that there's business development going on. Because when you think about your ratios, in a downturn, your ratios have to be more and then some have to be less. So here's what I mean. The ones that have to be less is I'm a contingent recruiter. Mm -hmm. And so if I normally fill one out of five openings, I got to fill four out of five now mm. because I might only get five. <laughs> right, know? right. Uh, so my ratios have to be better there. And if I normally would take 20 to 30 marketing attempts to get a job order, now it might take 300 to get one. So I have to increase my output. Um, and, and by doing that, obviously I can't do all that. I'm just one person with the same 24 hours. So I'm dividing that work among more people and we're all going out to market turning over rocks just to see where is the work. And once we get that, then we all attack it as a team and we we try to our best to fill it as a firm and we're just kind of sharing what we eat at this point. All right. That makes total sense. So it's interesting because when you have like that Rainmaker model where you're the like the main business developer, and then you have a team who are predominantly doing the fulfillment side of the business. Um, and then we want to convert those folks out of necessity into business development people. 
that's not easy. Like, A, mm -hmm. not everybody wants to do that job. And they may be like, they're in their comfort zone. They're good at recruiting. They understand it. They've got like, that's where they feel confident. And you're taking people way out of their comfort zone, getting them to do something that they're not confident at and where they are, they, their skills need to be developed and 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 refined. Um, how, how, how have you been able to do that? Yeah, wonderful point. And that's exactly true. So there's a difference between har uh, farming and hunting. Yeah. You know, the people that are in business development roles, their job is to go and hunt and develop new business. But the people that are not accustomed really to business development, we're setting them up with more warm touches. Hiring managers we've done business, companies where we have contracts, you know, so they're not hunting per se, they're farming uh, a crop that we've already planted. And so uh, the people that are that are a little hesitant to, hey, I just want to do the recruiting, you know, we don't want to put them in a position where they're uncomfortable. So we play to their strengths. Hey, you love recruiting because you love having that relationship. Well, here are people that you have relationships with. Go. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is we have them talking to candidates about mm -hmm. what they're hearing in the market. Are you are you hearing about openings? Are you seeing openings? Mm -hmm. What openings interest you? Um, the other thing that we're doing in that regard is when a candidate reaches out to us about their desire to enter into the job market, we try to make it, we try to strike a deal with them and say, okay, how about this? Every time you get it, you see an opening that you would normally apply to don't reach out to us. And essentially what we're, we, we explain to them and not these terms, but terms they'll understand is let us MPC you there. Yes. You know, so, so all of a sudden that we, you know, that is a very warm lead. We have the MPC, they gave us the job yeah. and, and, and we're off and running. So, and then when you're starting completely from cold, no relationships, they don't know who you are, blah, blah, blah. That's more of the people that are trained to hunt. Got that it. Makes that makes total sense. Could you say more about your MPC strategy and what you, how you present that to the candidate to get their buy-in and make them think, yeah, that's, that sounds amazing. Let's go, let's go ahead. Yeah. So the way I frame it out is I tell them, look, there are going to be companies. We know the market. We know which companies are good. We know which companies are bad, which com company cultures are doing well, but candidates don't know that. They only know the product that a company has. And like, oh, I've kind of seen their name around. Um, so what I position myself as, hey, consider me a resource. You know, if if your interest or if you see an opening with XYZ company, call me. I'll tell you everything about XYZ company, good, bad, and ugly, and I can help you get in there. The other thing, uh, so so they're inclined to call me to get that information. There's something in it for them. Um and I'll and then I also tell them, hey, look, if it's a company I don't work with, I do know the recruiters that do work there, or if a company just doesn't work with recruiters. And then I position us in this way. I say, you know, I would never want to win if it means that you lose. And I certainly don't want to lose. <laughs> so instead of us setting up a situation where we're competing against each other, let's partner together. And even if you have an internal advocate there, if I'm vouching for you, and then 
that internal person is singing your praises as well, that's a lot stronger than if you only have the internal person and not me. So I try to get ahead of those objections. Um, and what I basically do is, look, if I leave two messages with them and they don't call me back, then you know you can just apply and we won't prolong it to the point where you lose the opportunity. I love it. That makes total sense. I think it's an education piece because candidates often, they just don't really understand exactly how recruiters work and how they should partner with us in order to you know benefit themselves. Um, and what they don't necessarily realize unless we explain it to them is that number one, if they just apply and they send their resume, it's going to like you probably to, you know, a talent, uh, in, in internal talent or HR person. And it's going to sit in that person's inbox potentially or on their VMS system or however they're taking applications. There's no certainty that the hiring authority is even going to see their resume. Like, is it going to get to the right person? Number one, number two, their resume then has to do all the selling for them. They don't have a human being who's giving context to the resume, who's elaborating and really, um, you know, representing the benefits that you at the candidate can bring to that organization, um, which, you know, means again, there's no certainty that even if the resume is, their experience is great, doesn't mean they're going to get granted an interview. And then thirdly, the navigating the hiring process, you know, if they're on their, if they're, going in directly, um, they're they're missing out on a wealth of information because we are, we are speaking to all the stakeholders in that business. We know a lot about what they're looking for. We're getting feedback, which then we can relay. So we can really coach them every step of the way and just give them a much you know, better chance of securing the, the offer than if they go direct. So I, I, I think that's such a smart strategy. And I, I use all of those points, all of those points. And, and it depends on, you know, I don't, I don't do all three of those points. It depends on like, if I feel like there's some pushback, the, yeah. the thing that I really talk about is uh, leverage. If you apply, mm -hmm. you're giving away leverage because you're right. saying I'm into you. I hope you're into me. But when a, when a candidate, when a candidate is submitted by, by us, we're saying, Hey, yes. this person may be into you, but we got to sell this passively looking candidate on the opportunity. It flips the whole dynamic. And now the company yes. is, um, is it's equal footing. Absolutely. Do you know, that's a brilliant, brilliant point. Uh, there's a vast difference between an applicant and a passive candidate who's being represented by a search firm in terms of the way that person is positioned, I think it's yeah, about, so yeah. The way, the way that I, uh, the analogy I use, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a good one, but if one person asks another person on a date, it takes courage because you're telling them, Hey, I, I'm kind of into you. I want to go and, and see and pursue this. And then the other person becomes the one that's courted. Yes. Okay. But if you have a third party friend say, Hey, I think you guys would be a great match. Why don't you go on a date? Equal leverage. Both parties mm. are courting each other because they're not one initiated it. That makes sense. I like it. It makes total sense. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 
Video interviewing has been part of mainstream recruitment for over a decade now. But have you figured it out yet? Video interviewing certainly looks good as part of your recruitment service. It gives you the appearance of being a cutting edge recruitment business owner on the front line of technology. But is it paying its way? Are you getting more new business, more repeat business because you're using video interviewing? Or is it starting to look more like a financial drain on your recruitment business? Our sponsor and trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. Their video interviewing is just one part of a complete suite of recruitment tools, so you don't need to spend a fortune on yet another tech platform. Everything you need is included in one package. Additionally, they provide training for your recruitment firm to make sure you're using the technology to the best possible effect for your existing clients, as well as how to use it to attract new clients. If you're thinking of investing in video interviewing, don't take another step until you've requested your free demonstration from iIntro. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retain to book your free consultation. See for yourself how to use video interviewing to get a true return on your investment. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. So, um, so you've got, obviously, continuing focusing on the relationships, uh, your You've restructured like the day-to-day responsibilities of your of your team, Mike. Um, you're trying some different strategies in terms of, you know, the way you're working with candidates. Is there anything else that you're doing differently in order to just make the most of this, you know, uh, market that's in that's nosedived? You know, a lot of it is um, keeping everybody in a good mind space. Um, telling me it's it telling me that, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, this is not a forever. If we position ourselves well, we're going to have a windfall. What I've noticed is in other recessions, as you, if you think about a, a line going down and then the line starts going up, there's a period of time where we have the least amount of competitors and there's an influx of jobs. Yes. If we can position ourselves to be the player at that point in time, there's going to be a huge windfall that could last years before other competitors start coming in saying, oh, it's healthy again. Um, And and that is specific. That is um, especially true with someone who's going to be a hiring manager down the road. So if any vice president or senior director becomes unemployed or open to a new opportunity, we talk to them, even though we know we have nothing, no position to present to them. We prep them. We tell them about the market. We help them form a strategy all for free, but we know that that person's going to be in a, in a good position to utilize us later. So. hundred percent. I, I, I agree. Um, you know, it's funny, Mike, because I, I once coached a guy and he was, a really experienced, he was a veteran recruiter. Um, he was in the legal market. He worked on a retain on like really big retained searches. And he was terrified of um cold calling companies. And <laughs> and yet he would cold call candidates, which was interesting. He had no problem cold calling someone about a job, but he was like he felt literally sick to his stomach the idea of cold calling a hiring manager and i and i said to him wait a second isn't that the same person <laughs> like the person that you're when that you're 
terrified to call when you're selling your service, isn't it the same? Because he recruited really senior individuals. Isn't it the same person that you would cold call about a, an opportunity? And he was like, well, yeah. And I'm like, so how, how come in one context you're fine with it, in another context you like want nothing to do with it? And that started to shift things for him when he realized like, forget about these categories of client candidate. They're just people, like they're just human beings. And, you know, on different days, we're working them with them in different capacities, but really it's the same human being on the end of the phone in either case. Um, and sometimes I leave a voicemail that's du- has some duality to it. Like, right. hey, Mark, Could you, you know, say- I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not sure where I'm catching you. I don't know if you're open to hearing about a new opportunity. Here's one that made me think of you. And I tell them two or three bullet points. But also, there's a great candidate that I think would be great on your team. And, and so it's a recruiting call and an MPC call in the same voicemail sometimes. That's interesting. And could we, this is a bit of a tangent, but um, it's a conversation we have on a regular basis is voicemail strategies. What's your, because some people say, no, don't leave a voicemail. Some people say, well, leave a short voicemail but make it mysterious. So don't like say exactly why you're calling. It sounds like you're a third strategy, which is just use that as an opportunity. Like you didn't catch them on the phone, but you've made the effort to research the call and and pick up the the phone, which is like, that's where 90% of the hard work, you may as well leave a message. And it sounds like you're leaving quite a substantive message. Could you explain what your thought process is on that? I try to leave it. I try to leave a message that's under a minute. Um, yep. I, I try to tailor my messages so that they're, they clearly know I am, it's not a re- rinse and repeat message. Um, and I usually follow up the voicemail with some other communication and I, I tell yes. them, Hey, I don't check my voicemail that often. So I thought I'd send you a text too. Um, right. or, you know, or what I'll send them a text is, and then I'll send them the video link of the, the job, uh, that I was calling them about um, that we talked about last time. Or if I don't have, if I'm not even sure it's their number, that's the thing. Like um, I'll call and it, and it doesn't say, hi, this is Mark. It'll just say the phone number or something. I'm like, well, I don't even know if this is the right number. So what I do is I'll send them an email or um, uh, an IM through LinkedIn that says, hey, Mark, I'm not sure if this is still your number, but I just left you a message on this number. Is that still the active one? Um, and I don't know how often you check voicemail. So here's a video about what I was calling about or, or I just tell them a little summary of why I was calling. I try not to do anything mysterious or any tricky things like, Hey, I got something confidential for you. Call me. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying that's not what I do. Um, so when I leave a voicemail, I usually follow up with something else. Absolutely. That makes total sense, Mike. Thanks for clarifying your strategy, I think is a good one. I, I, I'd i like to go back just to a little bit more about the mindset and especially keeping your team kind of motivated when it is so, so difficult. Um, any other guidance there? Both either A, keeping your own mindset strong, uh, mm-hmm. but B, especially if you're a leader um, and people are just like, because recruiting is one of those jobs where it's the best job in the world when things are going well. And it sometimes feels like the worst job in the world when things are not going well. Yeah. Yeah. There's there. And, and you're right. You have to keep your own mind space going because if you start saying, Oh, you know, it's, there's no jobs or there's no, this, there's no, that, then you're going to, 
you're going to lead yourself to have inactivity. So what we've been doing are having some contests uh, mm-hmm. about activity. You know, instead of, because we're not ringing the bell, so we're not getting that endorphin rush of success. So we're attributing success to other activities that we normally wouldn't recognize as, you know, the equivalent of ringing the bell. And so I would encourage anyone that's trying to lead a team through a downturn is to, is to value activity yeah. um, versus because we normally value results, you know, and just let people know that, hey, you know, if I hit five more calls, I'll get, you know, a putt and because we have this putting green in our, in our office. And maybe if I make that putt, I can win a certain amount of money. Um, so I think keeping people engaged that way has been a helpful tool. Definitely. Absolutely. How are you managing that in terms of remote versus in office? Because I feel like a work, well, Leia, let me just leave it there. Because the com- kind of competition you're describing and like you've got, a, you've, you're trying to create some energy and mm-hmm. you also got like the putting green and stuff. Does that only work in office or have you got uh, remote people as well? You know, we, we have two different offices and so we have people in one and people in the other and we work three days a week in the office, two days a week, not yeah. like I'm at home today. Uh, Friday's one yeah. of those days. Um, I would say that um, for remote work, there are plenty of contests that you can do remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all over the internet where like you guys can play like a video game and, and uh, like, uh, like one time we did um, during the, uh, during COVID we had, uh, there was like this angry birds, platform and we all played in, in the highest score won in a prize and you know so there's there's it does you don't have to be in the office necessarily to do that okay that makes sense awesome so are there any differences in terms of you know rookies versus veterans and how you're um coaching and mentoring them through this yeah it, it's you know with a veteran, with a veteran, you're basically saying, Hey, look, we've seen this before. Yeah. You know, and you go down that narrative. Hey, and, and you, and, and the best thing to do is to tell them stories of them. People want to hear stories where they're the hero. Okay. Remember that time where we went through this and you came out and you did this and this is what you did. Let's do that again. Um, but for the rookies that have never seen this and don't have that precedent to really fall back on, you tell your own story and try to infuse them as the hero. Like for instance, I started recruiting in 2007 mm-hmm. and 2008 was about as bad as I'm feeling in my, in our world right now. Absolutely. And, and so I tell them the stories of, I'm so glad I started there because I built great habits. I built great that you had to market every single day, you know, but a person that starts in 2001 and the fish are jumping in the boat, you know, you're not <laughs> right. a really good fisherman at that point. Right. You know, so, right. so, um, I just tell them this is the best breeding ground for, um, and whatever investment you're making in lost income this year, it's going to come back tenfold for, for a long period of time. This episode is brought to you by Recruitment Entrepreneur. If you've dreamed of starting your own business or if you've already got a successful firm and you wanna grow more rapidly, then pay close attention. 
recruitment entrepreneurs are the number one investors in recruitment startups and scale-ups globally. They provide everything you need to grow your business, including the funding and financial expertise, operational strategy and back office support, and marketing and talent attraction solutions. Led by James Kahn, they've already invested in 45 businesses and you could be their next joint venture partner. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. That's VC is in venture capital. Book a call with one of their investment directors and be sure to tell them you were referred by Mark Whitby and the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. Michael, it's so interesting that you mentioned stories because I think stories are powerful. And uh, that we may as well talk about the book because I okay. think there's a link there. Um, yeah. You're talking about telling stories in business. And that's a, I mean, there is some in, information out there about that, but it is so powerful whether they're stories that you tell internally to your team, stories you tell to your customers, um, which Stories are just a great way of communicating and getting your point across in a really elegant way that people that go straight in because we're all we grew up listening to stories. And like even when we were like living in caves, we like people would tell stories around the campfire. Right. And so um, I think it's powerful. So tell me why you decide to write a book and then talk us through that that journey. Well, I didn't intend to write a book. It, it okay. just sort of happened. Um, what I intended to do was to write a little poem for my dad um, as a gift that retold one of the reoccurring stories he would tell me and my brothers growing up. And it just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And then I got him involved and we created the plot together and I did the writing and it turned into a 14 chapter long epic poem. But it's easy to read. If you hate poetry, you won't hate this, believe me. But basically where the tie-in is to recruiting is if you think for a moment about your own personal story, like what is the Mark Whitby story? You, you would probably find that there is no villain in that story. There's not some bad guy chasing you around, uh, plotting against you and even our own competitors are not really antagonists in our own personal story. So who is the antagonist? Well, what I found in my own personal story is that I'm both the protagonist and the antagonist, the hero and the villain. Hmm. But to put a name to the bad guy, it's fear. And even in this small dialogue that we've had, we've spoken about fear multiple times. And yeah. so legacy, or I'll show you the, what it looks like if you're going to look on Amazon. So Legacy, Amazing. it's a beautiful book, man. In the illustrations, it's a work of art. It really is. Um, so, so Legacy is a story where the main character has to confront fear. And fear has a lot of different forms. You know, fear can paralyze you. It can propel you. Uh, some people fear failure. Uh, some people fear success. Uh, we fear missing out. We fear we have imposter syndrome. We fear ridicule, fail, you know, failing in front of others. But then if you think about fear of success, then all of a sudden, what's the expectation? Now I got to always do great. You know, some people fear that. But, but the thing yeah. is the choices that we make when we're face to face with fear 
is what writes our legacy. And so that's what the book's about. Abel, the main character, he has to go on this quest, this improbable, impossible quest. And he has no superpowers. He has no magic. He's only equipped with the same thing that you and I have and everybody listening has. And that's the power of choice. So are we going to make the brave choice or not? Are we going to be noble, which is one of the themes? Are we going to be noble or not? Are we going to enter into that dark, unknown wilderness? Or are we going to watch someone else do it? So whatever our choice is, bravery is a choice. Our choices make our mark. That's who we are. That's the legacy we leave. And so though the story is not about recruiting per se, it's a book of principles that certainly apply to recruiting and other walks of life as well. So that is so cool. So uh, the book's called Legacy. It's available mm-hmm. on Amazon and other other outlets. And is it a children's book, Mike, or who is the target audience for this? Well, it's a fable. And okay. I intended the fable to be enjoyed by people of all ages. Okay. And I wanted it to be wholesome. Um, yeah. You know, so it's... Um, if you look at the illustrations, you'll say, oh, it's for kids. Um, but if you start reading the writing, you're like, no, a kid could never read this. It's pretty, it's a, it's a, it's it has some complexities and some elevated language. But in, and then the audiobook is my favorite. That's coming out in a few days. Um, I do all 22 voices, I narrate the whole thing. <laughs> it's, wow, that's hilarious. Uh, I have a few songs I sing during it. Um, it was a, it, so, but, but what I'm trying to create is a scenario where people of really of all ages could at least understand what's going on. Like my children, even if they don't know what I'm reading, if they can see the picture, they can kind of get the gist. You know, or if they hear the audiobook, they'll understand it much more than if they're trying to read it. So it's really for all, all uh, ages. Yeah. I'm I'm seeing a whole nother side of you that I didn't know yeah. about, Mike. Are you <laughs> like? Do you act anyway, or like is well, acting I was a, part of your background? Well, well, I was an English major. I have a master's in English, okay. and I was a baseball player. Uh, I knew at, that in college. And so, yeah. when when you play baseball, <clears throat> you can't major in theater because there's a whole part of the year that you can't be in plays, and you have to log a certain amount of hours in plays and stuff. So the most you could do is minor in theater. So I have a minor in theater. I love theater. I, I love cool. doing being in plays and, and and that sort of thing. So, um, and and I just I love movies. I'm a movie lover, much yeah. more than a, a reader. So the book was laid out like I would do it if I was directing a play or a movie. So and everybody that's read it is like, man, this should be an animated movie or something. Uh, yeah, so, well maybe it will be. That would be that would be cool. I um, hope so. So I'm still trying to wrap my brain around because it's it's not related to your work and it's like it started out just as a like a a, a fun thing to do with your your dad. Mm-hmm. How did it go from like going back and forth with your dad and and to it actually becoming a book in a physical book that you can hold in your hand and that you've got an audio book and everything? That seems yeah. like such a massive leap that most people would never even dream of doing that like what inspired that well like i mentioned the book's about fear and overcoming fear and mostly we fear the unknown Mm -hmm. uh, and putting yourself out there that's why your friend was scared to make the call you're putting yourself out there 
So my dad and I, we would work on this every day. Uh, and I would send him what I wrote. And if I got stuck, I'd, he'd help me with some plot ideas. And it became a bridge and a reason for my dad and I to talk every day. Well, when the book oh, was cool. over and I gave it to him, you know, a big, you know, word document, um, we didn't talk as much and hmm. we stopped having something else to talk about. And he sat me down one day and he said, you know, this world needs this book right now. And because we're right in the middle of a pandemic when I, when this is all happening, the, the world needs this book. Yeah. Um, and the first person who needs it is you. The reason you're not publishing this is because you're scared. And he's <laughs> right. I was scared. Wow. And, and so what a hypocrite to not take my own advice. So, uh, and so he's like, Hey man, if you're going to go for it, go for it. Mm -hmm. And he mixed in an expletive. So I'm not going to repeat, but you know, <laughs> go for it. And, um, so we did, and, uh, we published it. We did an audio book and we're, we're marketing it like crazy. It's the top new release right now in several categories. Um, but I'll tell you, Mark, I would give it away. I would love to give it to every single human being because the main theme of the book is to be noble. Mm. And that was what my dad would tell us as we leave the house every day, be noble. It's a great business practice. Be noble. A lot's packed in there. And, um, you know, imagine a world where everybody was fighting hard every day to do the noble thing to do, mm. to, to live and be noble. And so I would love for everybody listening to read it. I would love for them to tell me that they've read it and we can share it, share it. We have this deal for book clubs that if someone is doing a book club of five or more people, I'll do a zoom call and we'll, we'll interact a little bit, um, talk oh, about the cool. book. So I especially would offer that to anyone listening. So. Amazing. Yeah. Um, it sounds like it's a lot about values. And you obviously overcoming fear is one, but then you mentioned being noble. Um, and it sounds like these are values that you kind of were instilled in you growing up. What, what does being noble mean to you, Mike? You know, if, if I put it strictly in a business sense, uh, being noble is putting someone else before you. The mm. recruiting business attracts those looking for the quick buck, mm -hmm. those that are very self-oriented, uh, that will burn relationships just for the transaction. Mm -hmm. That's not noble. The mm -hmm. heart of being noble is selflessness. Helping someone else, giving of yourself. Um, and so in, in a business sense, that is what it be noble is meant to me. And, and of course that, permeates throughout life. Uh, as yeah. you mentioned in the introduction, I read the Bible every day. Mm -hmm. It's part of my daily routine. And so a lot of the principles, you know, you could say are Christian, mm -hmm. you know, it's not a, a theological book, you know, but at the same time, uh, you know, generosity, hospitality, all these different things that we would think is a Christian kind of teaching are in the book. Um, and so, that's what I love about be noble. It's a principle. A principle is the lens that you look through everything with. 
but a rule applies to a scenario. Right. So, you know, so be noble is, well, hey, the, a guy dropped $5 at the grocery store. You know, what are you going to do with that? Or I, I had like the other day I was with my daughter and we, we found a wallet in, in our uh, grocery cart. You know, I showed her, I was like, look, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this to the person and, and in charge of the grocery store, you know, but someone not trying to be noble could have mm. fleeced that thing. Um, right. You know, so it's just, it, 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 it applies to everything. A sales team, be noble instead of transactional. Love it. So what were the biggest challenges in actually getting this thing, like this dream into reality? The biggest challenge is that it doesn't really fit into a nice tight genre. Mm, you know, okay. um, like they don't even know what to, in the literary world, they don't even know what to call it. <laughs> it's uh, okay. So they're starting to call it an epic fable which there's none, there's no. And, and again, I didn't know what I was doing when I was doing it. It rhymes, it's in iambic pentameter. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it, it's, it's not exactly a poem. It's not exactly a story. It's, it's like, what is it? It's this hybrid. <laughs> so that's been the biggest challenge is just to get people to say, like, when you ask me, what is it about? <sighs> it's about a million things. Um, but, you know, as it relates to recruiting, uh, the biggest challenge was was juggling the time. Yeah. So well, <clears throat> what I decided to do, and this might apply to a lot of people that are trying to do more, is when you know, and I don't know, you guys, you guys have daylight savings. You practice that, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So over the last three years of daylight savings, whenever what I think you fall back and you're like, oh, I get an extra hour of sleep or whatever, whatever that time period is. I would just get up at the, the time I was normally used to, even though it was an hour earlier on my clock. Yes. My internal clock was the same. So yeah. uh, at, now I get up at 4.30, I read okay. the Bible, I do some chores, and then from six to seven, um, I write on the elliptical. So I'm on the elliptical. <laughs> it's hilarious, <laughs> but it looks stupid. Multitasking. Yeah, you know, type A, of course, I'm multitasking. So um, so that's that was the biggest challenge was to buy out time from sleep because you can't mm. find time. It's not like, you're, yeah. oh, here's an extra 20 minutes, found it. You know, right. no, you got to buy it you from can something make else. It. Yeah, you okay. got to substitute. Yeah. So that's what I did. Uh, I started getting up earlier um, so that my work didn't suffer. But, and then we're in the middle of this whole thing and it was a healthy distraction because once you have a book you got to market the, the snot out of it um, yeah which is taking up a lot of time well look what's what's cool about this story is that you know it's easy well first of all just that you had this idea and you made it a reality and that's cool in itself like in terms of thinking about goals and, and attainment everything you want is starts out as an idea right and then you have to bring it into reality and um the other thing that's interesting is in our business it's easy i see a lot of people getting burnt out and one of the main reasons is that not only is it stressful and hard what we do but there's it can be monotonous especially if you're doing the same things in the same way for a period of time 
So you've got to have the emotional resilience to deal with the highs and lows and both the economic cycles, but also just the day-to-day of working with uh, candidates and clients. But then when you've been doing it a while, it can just feel like, okay, like Groundhog Day, like, okay, here we go again, another search, another day, another client call, another recruiting call. And it's almost like Groundhog Day. And I think one, well, how we try and help our coaching clients to avoid burnout is by getting them to do something different. Like maybe you need to launch a podcast or if they're not already active on LinkedIn, like start posting on LinkedIn, add some other dimension to your practice that's going to stretch you and take you in a different direction, something you're not already comfortable in. And that will just, that will re-inject the enthusiasm because yeah, you still have to continue doing all the same stuff you're doing before. And it's like you say, like, well, how do I fit that in? You have to like make time for it by substituting something else, but you need to do something different that's going to re-energize you and then that uplifts everything else that you're doing. Because if you apply a sort of, if you feel burnt out and like this is monotonous, it's going to it's going to come across to the clients, the cans, your team, and just it. That's where you you're going to slide into a slump, even if the economy is good. And so it sounds like your book you 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 called it a um, you know a a a positive distraction. It sounds like it's just one of those ways that you've stretched yourself into an, like taking yourself into something you've never done before. I think everybody needs to do something like that, something you've never done before. And especially if it is uncomfortable and, and you're not sure it's going to work out and you're like, part of you is afraid of like, what if I put in all this work and it's like a, nothing happens. Nobody is interested in my idea, then that's going to feel like rejection. Did you have moments where you went through that? Uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the fear of rejection, I have it every day. Um, you know, and, and, uh, to have something where people can review it and just post whatever they want about it. Um, Mm. luckily we haven't really had that, but but the the fear of what's someone, so-and-so going to say. And in fact, one of the characters is this character named Sova. That is a ridiculer. So whatever journey someone's mm-hmm. on, there's going to be the naysayer. Yes. Um, yes. But then there's another character that that tries to talk the main character into staying in his comfort zone. Ah. So it's not the naysayer; it's the person saying, "Just stay here. I'll, I'll, you'll be taken <laughs> care of." So, but I think you're right. You got to step out of the comfort zone, and it has to be something that you're passionate about. Because as a recruiter, we end up thinking about everything as an exchange for money. Legacy is the first thing that I did that I knew was not going to be a, a, a monetary ROI. There's no money in yes. books. Let me just tell you, man. Yes. Um, so, so it's not a monetary thing. I mean, I would make more in one placement that I'll ever make from this book in my whole life. You know, right. but. But I was more passionate about that than recruiting for a long time. Um, but I would say for for everyone, the reason I love your podcast initially was the name of it, The Resilient Recruiter. Because in my mind, if I had to divine, define resilient, it's, it's sort of multifaceted. One is like if you think about a fire-resistant suit and you're facing like a, 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 a fire, 
you know, uh, one of those fire shooting guns or whatever. That's resilient. But also resilience is grinding through the mundane. It's the journey and making the steps and the steps and the step and the step and the step over and over and over and over and over again and not quitting. That's resilience. Um, And so what I would tell anyone that is feeling burnt out is to create reward systems. Find out what your reward is. Is it Starbucks? Is it to walk? Is it to leave early? And just say, whenever I hit this, I'm going to get that reward. You know, because the reward in a downturn may be way delayed. <laughs> may be way delayed. <laughs> so create an, a, more of an immediate uh, reward. Um, and then maybe shift to what you're passionate about. Say, all right, if I get through X amount of calls today, I'm going to spend the afternoon writing. Or, or, or uh, my friend Jordan Rayboy would say, okay, once I get to this many calls, I'm going on a bike ride. Yep. You know, so so whatever that is for you, set that reward system up. And what will happen is you'll fly through those calls. You know? Awesome. M- Mike, I have to order this book. And th- now that I understand what it's about, because I saw these like teasers on on like uh, LinkedIn and your, is it your dad who's who's, involved in the marketing as well or yeah so i taught my dad linkedin and it's like this new toy and he's 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 out of control he's out of control (laughs) so yeah i'm liking your dad's posts on linkedin seeing like little trailers for the for the book and stuff but now i understand what it's about i'm like i have to get this because it's so so interesting how the adversary is all these different facets of ourselves and wow that's um that's profound. And, and it's so true. Like we are the ones who are in our own way, who are stopping us from having and being what we, what we truly want. So, um, that's such a great, such a great allegory. I love it. Um, so listen, you know, just more thing on the allegory. I just want to do one thing on the allegory. So the main character's name is Abel. Okay. Because he feels the whole time that he's unable. So that's why I chose that name for him. And so anyone listening that is worried about starting a blog series, maybe to enhance their, their business or, you know, stepping into a new sector because this other one's dried up or doing anything that is scaring you and you're worried that you're unable. Just remember your ability is all brought out by choices. If you make the right choices and if you stick to the path, you know, you're, you're going to be successful. You're going to prove yourself an able B because the main character is a B. So, uh, oh, so right. I, okay. I get right. Yeah. So anyone that, anyone that reads it, uh, you know, that's what I want them to take away from it is go into that dark wilderness. He has to go into a cave too, which is the scariest thing. Mm-hmm. Go into that dark unknown place. And what you're going to find mm-hmm is that you're not as alone as you think. There's going to be people that help you. And yeah. all the skills that got you here will you know, get you through. Could you just say uh, more about choices? And, and like, because that obviously seems to be a key theme of the book and that's definitely relevant to everybody. Yeah, so the, the reason that was in my mind is whenever a candidate doesn't get the job, I don't know about you guys, but I always get the, 
oh, it just wasn't meant to be. And I'm sitting there like, well, that's horrible because <laughs> that means I'm caught up and now lose the commission on your not meant to be scenario. No, what really happened is you chose not to perform. You clammed up or you didn't prepare or you know you chose to over talk or whatever the, the, the reason they didn't get the job was. Uh, you know, you have to evaluate your choice. I chose to put them in there knowing they're an overtalker, you know, um, but honestly, the book, well, it, it sets up in the author's note, it, it ends up, is everything governed by fate and free will or fate or free will? Like, because if, right. if everything's fate, then the bad guys, you can't really be mad at them. They have no choice. And the heroes, why mm. really celebrate those guys? They didn't have a choice either. So legacy our legacy will be our choices. Where we are in life, what you build this year, what you build next year is going to be, is, is based on your choices. How are you spending your time? Who are you calling? Who are you presenting? Which job orders are you working? All those are choices. And, mm. and do you value relationships? Are you going to lead a business that's noble or not? And if you make those choices compounding, you're going to get through that whole dark forest that Abel has to get through. You're going to come through on the other side and you're going to be better for it. So, you know, choice, that's something my grandmother taught me. She goes, everybody is exactly where they chose to be because everything is a matter of your choices. So choose wisely. Awesome. Is that uh, Grandma P-Track or... Uh, that is my dad's mom. So yeah, she's okay. a, she's a, she's yeah. a P-track. She's 95. So wow, I'm hoping, that's I'm hoping awesome. I get those genes, baby. <laughs> yeah. Mike, it sounds like there's so much of your self in this book and your family and everything that, you know, you've, you've, um, a lot of positive things that you've drawn on it for inspiration to create this book. So look, good luck with it. I hope that. Thanks. Lots of people read it and um, your message, you know, goes out into the world. So listen, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And um, I always love talking to you and and the the energy and the insight that you bring is uh, is greatly appreciated. So thank you. Thanks for having me again and all the best to everyone. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.